I want to pick up where I left off in March. I came to talk about transformation, that God wants to change you from the inside out. The changes that are on the outside are the result of his deep changes on the inside. He doesn't want you just to conform. That's so superficial. You know, you can go through the motions, get the right vocabulary, go on a dozen mission trips, and still not be transformed. You know that, don't you? Just going through the rules. You're just one great big fat hypocrite. <laughs> but you see, what he wants to do is dig down deep. The changes he wants to make has to do with your character, changes in your character, changes in your life mission, and changes in your relationships. And that's where I want to go today. God wants you to learn something about his unconditional love his agape love, his radical love, his big love. And you see, before we can ever be mature in any relationship, we've got to get a hold of what unconditional love means. Do you remember when they came and asked Jesus what the most important command was? Do you remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, strength, and then to love your as yourself and then one day he said to them they will know you are my disciples by the number of times you go to church <laughs> by the number of short-term mission trips you take by the number of years you taught sunday school no you'll know but they will know that you are my disciples because you what you love one another. Now, when Jesus said those words, he used a very important Greek word for love, the word agape, the word for this unconditional big love we're going to be talking about today. Now, our text today in my life verse is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And in... That's known as the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And in these verses is contained 15 things love is and love isn't. It's the greatest thing ever written about love in any literature anywhere in the world. And don't you know that the Apostle Paul used this word agape? Now, I'm going to try to help you understand very quickly the difference between human love and agape love. Human love and the kind of radical love he wants us to get a hold of. See, human love is very directive and selective. It just moves around. It's kind of like laser love. And when it finds an object of its affection, it just goes, love, love. I'm pointing at my daughter and my wife. And see, and, and you know, when you were looking around before you got married and some of you who are looking around now because you're thinking about it you know what you're looking at you're looking at the object of your affection you're looking at something that you know or this you know <laughs> now some of you guys are looking at something like this that's a car uh, <laughs> and you find that object of your affection and you just fasten in on it very directive, very selective. 
Now, I want to illustrate agape love. And this is the way God loves you, and he loves me. And this is the way God wants us to love. Are you ready? If you happen to get in front of me, you get loved. Do you get that? You may be my enemy. I may not like the way you live. I may not like your lifestyle. I may not like you at the moment. But if you happen to get in front of me, look out. You are going to get it. You're going to get loved. Now, I ran smack dab into 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Years ago, when Sandy and I were six years married, and Tenley, our oldest, was three years old, and we were struggling in our marriage. We were, it was going south. Why did they say south? But we were in great, great pain. We were on the verge of losing it all. Sandy happened to be in the hospital at that time, and I went up to the hospital to visit her, and when I went up, I met 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 in a way that changed my life and in a way that changed my marriage. Do you want to hear about it? I'll tell you in just a minute. (laughs) But first, I have to give you a little background. You see, through all of our difficult times, God was developing a story And it's a story we call the four cycles of unconditional love or the four cycles of married love. And I want to take you through those cycles. Now, before I do, I want you to understand that these cycles can be applied to any relationship. I'm going to be talking about marriage mostly here today just to keep focused. But if You want to apply these to your children or to your parents or to anybody in your family or an estranged friend or a workmate. Man, these cycles apply. Now, understand that they're cycles and not steps, too. The cycles are very dynamic because we are so dynamic, and somebody can cycle through them in a really big, huge way or in a smaller way. Sandy and I have cycled through these twice and in a very large way in which we could have gotten divorced either time. And by the way, one of them happened to be right here in Corona. Now, we now cycle through them in a much smaller way. In fact, we probably cycled through one just last week, you know? And so these are things that... are there just as you grow, the cycles become a little easier. Are we ready? Here we go. Cycle one is the honeymoon, the honeymoon. You know, it's it's characterized by three things. And uh, we're going to put them right up here. It's characterized by uh, uh, hope. You just have a great deal of hope. And it's characterized by compromise. And discovery. That's what dating and that's what being engaged and that's what having a honeymoon is all about. We're discovering each other. We're learning to compromise. We're just really good at give and take. I remember uh, 
I was so intrigued by Sandy. She was so different, and, uh, you know, she was different than I was, and that's what was so intriguing. You've heard the saying that what is cute in courtship can kill your marriage, haven't you? And uh, she was... She was this kind of outspoken, sort of blunt lady. And even though she was an introvert, she really had learned some extrovertive kind of qualities. And here I am, an extrovert off the charts. And she was so curious about my life as an extrovert, and she would really attempt to join in and enjoy people like I enjoyed people because, you see, we were compromising. Well, you know, the honeymoon leads to a second stage. And I want to say, before I get there, that I don't know any couples that have not gone through disillusionment. I, I, and, and, and the reason I take couples through this before I marry them is we all go into this thing with rose-colored glasses. We don't even imagine. I can see couples about to get married, and I mention disillusion, and they just say, never going to happen to me. Because, you see, we mostly have never prepared for the fact that there's a reality to relationships. There's a reality to all of this. And so... I don't care how mature you are or how godly you are or how spiritual you are, there is going to come a time, if you're really honest, that one and then the other of you says, is this all there is? I expected something different. And that's where the rub is. We expected. You see, expectations. We bring into our marriage a whole head full of expectations. Where did we get them, and why do we think we have the right to have them anyway? And when those expectations don't come true in real life, we get bummed out. You see, Sandy expected that we would be spending a lot of time together as a couple like we did when we were dating and when we were engaged, and here I am, this off-the-chart extrovert, involved in a youth ministry, and all my time is being spent with other people. And there comes a time when she just says, hey, you know, I married you. I didn't marry the ministry. I don't like the ministry. I hate the ministry for what is taken away from me. Because, you see, she had expectations. And, you know, I didn't know what to do with this lady who didn't enjoy being with people as much as I did. My expectation was that she would want to be with people and go with people just as much as I did. And it wasn't going to happen. And so our, we were bummed out. Now... There's another thing that happens, and that's amplification. Uh, this is worth writing down. I'm going to tell you a couple of things to write down, and this is worth one of them. Marriage does not solve problems so much as it amplifies the ones that are already there. And we go into marriage with a, with a torpedo in our, you know, we've got this little torpedo in our personality, in our temperament. 
And those torpedoes can blow this marriage up any time. And so marriage becomes a torpedo disarmament program. And if it doesn't, our marriage is in trouble. In other words, what I'm saying is we got to work on our stuff. We've got our problems that we bring into a marriage, and we have got to keep working on those, or we will become more disillusioned than ever. I was right down here on Rancho and Maine in my office counseling a couple in the <coughs> bride-to-be <coughs> looked at me, and she said, you know, he's really jealous. He just gets so, I, I don't know what to do. But he said, then, then she said, but when we get married, I won't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> I actually did this. I said, time out. <clears throat> you haven't seen green until you get married and he gets jealous because he's got more to lose. And so we begin to focus on the fact that if he didn't get a hold of that, if he didn't do something about that on a personal level, that that would ultimately just destroy their marriage. <coughs> Pardon me. Water. Would, would somebody bring... Thank you, baby. <laughs> You're right there for me. <coughs> That's good. <coughs> mm -mm. Okay, here we go. Now, the third thing that characterizes disillusionment is uh, control. I don't know anything that destroys a relationship as quickly as control. Because when you lose trust, then you start to pull in. And by the way, there are some of you guys out here try still trying to control your wives. Quit it! Stop it! You know, because of your insecurity... You just feel like you got to somehow dominate that, that person. And so these things make us disillusioned, and that leads to the third cycle. You want this to get better, don't you? <clears throat> it's going to get worse because <laughs> the third cycle is misery. And again, I want to say to you, I don't know anybody that has not cycled through these things. They have gone through disillusionment and they have gone through misery, some to a greater degree and some to a lesser degree, but I don't believe you can get to where I want to get today without going through these stages. Now, misery is best described by two people standing at opposite ends of the family room and they have the DMZ, the demilitarized zone, right down the center. <clears throat> and they're pointing at each other and they're shouting at each other and they're saying, I can't love you anymore because. And you see, they have their list and they have their rights that they have not been getting. And by the way, when people start making lists and start demanding their rights, they've taken a wrong turn in their marriage. And that's the description of misery. Now, there are three alternatives to misery. And the first one is the big D. You know what that stands for. Divorce. Half the people in the United States ultimately get divorced. You know, it goes like this. We're not happy. Besides, I'm not getting what I want and what I deserve. And I just need to, I just need to find my 
happiness. I just need to get out of this marriage. I just, I don't need this anymore. And people move off into divorce and ultimately into another relationship. Now, here is what I want you to write down. I tell every couple I marry this. This is the most significant thing I could ever say about marriage. More important than your happiness in this marriage is the development of your character. Did you hear that? More important than your happiness in your marriage is the development of your character. When you are in misery, it's like God has a megaphone to your ear and he's saying, grow up. Yeah. It's like God with his hammer and chisel and he's just hammering and chiseling and working on those rough edges. And it's like God with his sandpaper trying to smooth those rough places down. He's wanting you. He's begging you. He's giving you the opportunity to stop being so stinking selfish and develop the character you need to become a whole person so that your marriage can thrive. Now, let me just say that divorce and resignation are the two biggest retardants to growth I know. Because about the time God gets you where he really wants to teach you something about your character, it's too easy to slide out from underneath that pressure. And then you go off into another relationship, and I guarantee you, you'll be right back in misery soon. Having to work out the things you refuse to work out in the first place. And I can't tell you the number of people that came to my office down on Rancho and Maine and said after the fact, Tim, if we had just tried harder, if we had just bloomed where we were planted, if we had just developed our character, we could have salvaged that marriage and I would not have gone through all the grief and hardship I've gone through thinking the grass was greener on the other side. Now, I want to say a word to you who have, uh, have been divorced and you didn't want it because I know there are folks here. You tried to save it. You went to counseling. You worked hard to save it, and you just simply couldn't do it. But I know this about you. You allowed God to really work in your life. You uh, allowed God to develop character in your life. And as you develop that character, you put yourself in a position to be whole and wholesome. Put yourself in a position when he gave you a second chance to move into it in a new way. Now, there's a second alternative. Divorce is the first one, and the second one is the big I. I call it insanity you know the 12-step definition of insanity don't you it's continuing to do the same things over and over again somehow expecting a different result and so we have the same old tired arguments we go through the same old routine and ritual time after time after time somehow expecting that this time it's going to turn out differently 
And so some people just continue in the same old vicious cycles. They continue fighting the same old ways they've always fought, and they just stay stuck. And they won't get a divorce because they don't think they ought to or because they're just too chicken. They're not willing to break out of the mold. And as, much as, and as wonderful as it is that they want to stay married, I don't believe God wants anybody to live in insanity, do you? But there is a third third alternative to misery, and it's going to get better now. Aren't you glad? The third alternative to misery is unconditional love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Unconditional love begins when one person and then the other person steps across the line, opens up their arms and says, I love you, period. I love you with your idiosyncrasies, your hang-ups, your problems with my unfulfilled expectations. I just love you. Now, let me get back to the story. I go up to the hospital to visit Sandy. Our marriage is a mess. We're in deep hurt, and I go up pretty angry. I've got my list, and we're going to have it out right there in the hospital. I walk into the room, and Sandy introduces me to a young doctor, an intern. Now, understand, I had never met this man before. I don't even remember his name. I would never see him again. Somebody suggested he might have been an angel. Yeah. He certainly was my angel at that moment. He could see my countenance. He'd been talking to Sandy. So he just ushered me out of the room. He closed the door behind me, and he took me down the hall, and he said, how's it going? And I let him know. (laughs) And then he finally interrupted me, and he said, do you love her? And I said, of course I love her. I'm a pastor. (laughs) And then he began to quote, I knew exactly where he was quoting from. He began to quote 1 Corinthians 13. And I felt something I had never felt before. Do you remember Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is like a two-edged sword, and it divides between the very thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God was hammering me. And 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 was humbling me. And when he got done, I was so humble, I just, I didn't even go in to see Sandy. I just crawled home on my belly button. (laughs) And when I got home, I got my Bible down and I memorized 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 in the living Bible paraphrase, which I'm about to quote to you. Because you see, this is what, this is what he quoted Love is very patient and kind. Never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Did you hear that way up there? 
Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Is that amazing? It's never glad about injustice, but rejoice, rejoices whenever tr the truth wins out. If you love somebody, you'll be loyal to them no matter what. Did you hear that way up there? No matter what. You'll always believe in them, always expect the best of them, and always stand your ground in defending them. There are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I memorized 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 for the first time. And then I got down on my knees, and I said, God, help me love Sandy this way. Help me love her unconditionally. She would get out of the hospital and the worst was yet to come. She would leave. But before she left, she was hearing me some th say some things she'd never heard me say before. Basically, I simply said, my love is unconditional for you. There's not anything you can do or say that will cause me to stop loving you. This door is open, always open. My arms are always open. If this marriage ends, it will never, ever be because of me. I love you unconditionally. And two weeks later, she would come back and say, I can't leave love like that. And then ultimately, she would develop an unconditional love of her own. And it must be working because we were married 52 years in June. I think, I think we'll keep each other. How about that? <laughs> now, I want you to picture your home as a mountain in the cabins, uh, as a cabin in the mountains. <laughs> a cabin in the mountains. Now, my cabin is in, uh, in the midst of beautiful, beautiful pine trees, and it looks out over a view of the ocean. How's that? Now, your cabin has two doors. It has a front door and a back door. The front door, when you go out it, it leads to the porch of unconditional love. Do you get the picture? And on this porch, there is a swing just for the two of you. It's called mutual submission. By the way, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, teaches mutual submission. A man submits to his wife, a wife submits to her husband. Submission, by the way, means voluntary unselfishness. So you've got the porch of unconditional love, the swing of mutual submission. Now I want to take you to the back door because at the back door I have some bricks and mortar. That's right. I want to ask you to brick up the back door. No back door in your marriage. People who have back doors eventually use them. Did you hear that? If you have a back door, I guarantee you will find out, figure out a way to use it. But when you brick it up, there's only one place to go, no matter how desperate it gets, no matter how bad it gets. By the way, I would just say that abuse is the one thing that I would, uh, <laughs> I would you know, amend this with. 
But no matter how bad it gets, you go out onto the, the porch of unconditional love. You sit in the swing of mutual submission and swing it out. And when you do, you're going to cycle into unconditional love. 1 Corinthians 13, love. And that's characterized by at least four things. Open arms, period. It's characterized by no back door anymore. It's characterized by character transformation. I'm understanding that I have to give up my selfishness and I have to determine to work on my stuff. I need to allow God to transform my character and that requires some radical dependence. I can't do this on my own. I know it. I can't love like, like 1 Corinthians 13 asked me to love on my own. I must be radically dependent upon God to help me every step of the journey. And when I cycle into unconditional love, then I find myself cycling into a 1 Corinthians 13 honeymoon. And you see, those honeymoons can just keep happening. And that's why, you know, when you have these little mini cycles and you go through mini disillusionment and mini misery and then you go into a unconditional love, you cycle back into another honeymoon. First Corinthians style. Where two people are celebrating their differences. They've got a whole new hope for the future. Their expectations are holy expectations, godly expectations. Now, I want to ask you not only to apply this to your marriage, but some of you are here and you need to apply this to other relationships in your life. Some of you are way ahead of me on this. You're thinking about your kids or your parents or a workmate or a friend or a family member because the same principles can apply. You need to figure out how to cycle into unconditional love with them. And usually that doesn't happen unless there is some misery that precedes it and some disillusionment. Now I want to ask before we leave, so what? So what? We've done this whole teaching and what are you going to do with it? And the first so what is this? I want to ask you to memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Would you do that? Some of you have it memorized, but... I want to ask you to memorize it, not so much word for word as thought for thought. Because I believe with all my heart that these four verses of Scripture, if they are fleshed out and lived out, can keep you married for the rest of your life. And you see... When you leave today, you need to have a conversation about this. It's not just enough to have been here and listened. I want you to go home and talk to your spouse about this. I want you 
both to talk to somebody who, whom you need to talk to. I talked to some folks first service who came up and said, we're in misery. I'm just praying that they will find a way to talk it out. I'm just praying they'll find a way to talk to somebody who can help them. Because you see, there are folks right now who are in the disillusionment stage and they don't know what to do about it. There are folks and folks in this room who are in misery and they're trying to figure out which way they're gonna go. Some of you are thinking about divorce as I speak. Some of you are just caught in insanity. And I'm begging you to consider the third alternative. Would you allow yourself to move into unconditional love? Because that's how God wants to grow you. In other words, grow up. Brick up the back door and open your arms to 1 Corinthians 13 love. Open your arms to being patient and kind and not envious or jealous or haughty or selfish or rude, not demanding your own way anymore, not being irritable or touchy, being willing to love somebody no matter what. All of you, by the way, all of you have a story to tell. When God heals your marriage, when God is at work in your marriage, he gives you a story, doesn't he? And I want to challenge you to take that story and tell it. And the more difficult time you had, the more story you've got, and people need to hear it. And if you're needing to be able to tell a story, I'm wanting you to let God heal your marriage and your relationships so that you can bring witness to his power more wonderfully than you ever could have before. And that leads me to say that I don't know how anybody can really understand unconditional love apart from experiencing the love of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> The staff asked me to tell them my favorite song of all times. And I told them the, about the chorus, People Need the Lord. Rachel's going to sing that for us after a while. But here's what that chorus says, and this is why I can never hear it without weeping. It says, People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the open door. People need the Lord. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never really cemented this relationship. You've never really stepped across the line, stepped down the aisle, come to a place where you don't care what anybody thinks. You just have to open up your heart and receive him. I want to invite you to do that today. We're going to have a time of invitation when people are going to come down this aisle and go there to the living room and where they can pray and talk and counsel with somebody. Maybe it's not to receive Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's just to rededicate yourself to growing and developing the character you need to develop so that you can have the relationships God wants you to have.
Let's bow our heads for prayer. And then I want us to stand. In fact, let's stand right now. Would you stand with me? And I want to pray. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And if you can pray that prayer, I want you not to hesitate, but just to step out down one of these aisles that when you do, we are going to cheer you on. We're going to applaud you. I love that so much. It's so encouraging. God, thank you for bringing us here. We are meant to be here today. We are meant to hear this message about 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And so God, convict us so deeply. May your word just humble us and hammer us if need be and motivate us and move us. And God, if there's someone here who needs to invite you in for the first time, let them pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me unconditionally and opening up your arms wide to me no matter where I've been or what I've done. Thank you for taking away my sins. Thank you for coming in and transforming me and putting me on a new plane. Thank you for the fact that I can come to you today. Help me overcome any barriers that would keep me from stepping out and claiming you as my Lord and as my Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.